Hi, I'm Christine. And I'm Alan. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to our discussion this week. Our hope is that we'll share some information that you'll find helpful. So now we invite you to join us as we together listen listen for for the the word. Hi, friends. Welcome to our podcast today. We are in Eastertide, and we are continuing our look at John. And so this week, we're going to be looking at John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And so I'm just going to have Alan kick us, kick us off and tell us about why this is a kind of an interesting development from what we learned last week. Yeah, thank you, Christy. Um, you know, it's I think it's fitting that we move into John 15 because last week's lesson was about the image of Jesus as the Good Shepherd, which was a, an image rooted in the Hebrew Bible. And this week's a lesson about Jesus as the true vine, that's also based on an image from the Hebrew Bible. Uh, the metaphor of a vineyard and of a vine was used in a number of places to represent Israel as sort of the planting of God. And for the most parts, the prophets use the image to criticize the people for being unfaithful and unfruitful. And what that means is that they didn't conform their life to the pattern of justice laid out by God. And in particular, they were untrue to their covenant commitment to God. And you find that in a number of the prophets. Interesting. Um, one of the because one of the images we have is that Jesus identifies himself as the true vine. So we're using this Hebrew Bible imagery, and now we're adapting it to Christian. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, and and it is a unique image uh, in the New Testament. Um, in contrast to the image of the vineyard and the vine in the Hebrew Bible, which represents the people of Israel, and that's always the case, um, here Jesus identifies himself as the true vine. And so, you know, that, that's a very unique thing. And it is, you know, some New Testament scholars have, have sort of debated about this. But I think what we see is, again, sort of the flexibility of this kind of imagery in the Bible. Now, of course, his connection with believers who, who are the branches that abide in him and bear fruit is explicit in this metaphor. So the image of a community is not, you know, far away. It's there. So you still have this idea of a, of a group. But um, the fact that Jesus identifies himself as the true vine is, is unique. Now, some New Testament commentators will see in this analogy a repudiation of the Jewish synagogue as the people mm-hmm. of God. And there is some possible basis for that in the use of the vineyard analogy in Matthew 21 in the parable of the tenant farmers. But, uh, you know, even within the Johannine community, it's also possible that this could relate to internal disputes within the community mm-hmm. itself that we see reflected in 1 John, where John or where the elder calls those who departed from the community antichrists. But from my perspective, in this passage, for all of its dependence on that metaphor of the vine and the vineyard, which is very kind of critical in the Hebrew mm-hmm. Bible, I don't really see much of a polemic or much of a criticism against a specific group like the synagogue or even those who went out from the Johannine community in, in this passage. So maybe its intention was broad. I think it's more of a positive intention myself. I think it's really more of of of, a, of an instructional kind of thing for believers. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. okay. It'll. You know, I'd be curious to see what our reformers have to uh, yeah. say about it. Actually, yeah, um, I'm it's sure. not consistent. Not consistent. So very interesting. So okay, and then 
talking about Jesus also identifies my father as the vine grower or the gardener. So continue with this metaphor. Explain. Yeah. So th- this is a this is kind of common. You know, this is something we find. I mean, oftentimes in the Hebrew Bible, God is the one who plants the vineyard. And to me, I think the probably the the primary text for this in the Hebrew Bible would have been Isaiah five one through seven where um, Isaiah sings a love song for my beloved and, uh, and his, you know, who planted this vineyard. And he, he was a diligent and faithful vineyard gardener who made sure that Israel had everything they needed to produce the best of fruit, but instead they produced bitter fruit. And by that, he means that the people of Israel had failed to establish God's justice in their land. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that image of of God as the vine grower or the vine dresser or the gardener is one that's fairly common from the Hebrew Bible. And I think it stresses the great care and love that God has shown his people, uh, as well as the great pains that God went to to ensure that they would flourish in safety. And I, I think that same image of care as God, as the as the as the the vine grower or the vine dresser or the gardener, I think that comes across as well in in this uh, image in John fifteen. So, continuing on with our metaphor, who are the branches that can thrive and bear fruit? Well, and this is where we really get to the point, I think, of the of this passage. And and the point of this passage is about those who follow Jesus being the branches that can thrive and mm-hmm. bear fruit but they can do that only through their connection with him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the idea is kind of a commonplace, I guess, in one sense, in that just like branches that that stay connected with a grapevine depend on the life of the vine itself, so also uh, believers have to remain connected to Jesus because they're Mm -hmm. dependent upon his life uh, for their ability to, to live and for their ability to thrive as disciples. It's interesting because the next part of this, um, Jesus warns that the Father removes every branch of me that bears no fruit. So there, it's interesting that there could be branches attached to Jesus that bear no fruit. Yeah, and, so, and that's, that's, that's a big issue. That's a big question. Now, you know, Raymond Brown is sort of the, the you know, he has, the, he has sort of the foundational commentary. It was written... Uh, I think back in the seventies, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's quite, it's not, up, you know, it's not the latest, doesn't represent the latest of biblical scholarship, but he does represent very thorough investigation of John's text based on, um, you know, all of the available uh, parallel literature. And so, so Brown sort of compares this to the initial stripping of dead branches dead branches from the vine Mm. in early spring to make way for the growing season. But here, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't describe these branches as dead. He describes them as those that bear no No fruit. fruit. So I think what fruit bearing means in this context really becomes a central question to understanding this metaphor. Now, we're familiar with this in the Synoptic Gospels, but in the Synoptic Gospels, bearing fruit refers primarily to a life of justice, mercy, Mm -hmm. and faithfulness. Um, in John's gospel, the idea is a bit more complicated than that. Um, in John's gospel, true believers abide in Jesus' word. They um, uh, love him by keeping his commands. They continue doing the works that Jesus was doing. Mm-hmm. And so bearing fruit in John's gospel would seem to refer to a life of faithful discipleship that continues Jesus' work of glorifying the Father 
by the works that they do. Now, of course, the logical implication would seem to be that in verse 2, the branches that bear no fruit refer to believers who had once Mm -hmm. been connected to the vine through faith, but who failed to follow through with faithful discipleship. And many will think of Judas Judas. here. Uh But I'm not really sure that's the point of the metaphor myself. Um, I would say it's more to the point that Jesus is stressing the importance of bearing fruit for those who follow him. In other words, the importance of, of following through and being faithful in discipleship and, and, and staying connected to him so that they can uh, live a life of faithful discipleship and thus glorify God. Let's continue on because we also have this idea of the pruning um, and, and, and the pruning that when we prune healthy plants, it can bear more fruit. And yes, that's all a part of the understanding of, of, this type of um, horticulture. Yeah, and I think anybody who's had any experience with gardening, you know, understands this. When I lived mm-hmm. in Fort Worth, I had like 70 rose bushes I had to, I got to take oh, wow. care of. And so, <laughs> you know, that was fun. You know, so, so, so this kind of imagery is not strange to us. Uh, pruning is something that helps most plants bear fruit, whether it's your tomatoes in your garden or whatever it may be. You, you know, you do this. Um, and so the image is one, again, of a healthy branch that holds promise of bearing fruit. And again, Raymond Brown compares this to the process by which sucker shoots are removed so that they will not take vital energy away from the main Mm fruit-bearing branches. And I know that was one of the main things, one of my main jobs in pruning my roses. You know, you have to get get rid of the suckers so that the ones that are going to actually bloom will bloom more fully. I know. I know for me personally, that was always, when I started, that was the hardest thing to do, though, is to cut away something that's seems like it's really healthy yes yes indeed yes indeed now and but the idea is that is that those sucker shoots take the vital energy away from Mm -hmm. the main fruit bearing branches and so if you if you remove those then the fruit bearing branches are going to bear more fruit Mm -hmm. but now you know that's that's from that's from real life i think the image here is a little bit different because the idea is that that the father is pruning the branch itself so maybe removing whatever um, from the branch that would hinder them from bearing as much mm, fruit as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to note that in the Greek, the word is that the father cleans the branches by stripping mm, away okay. everything that would hinder them from bearing as much fruit as possible. And the verb is katharai. Uh, this is going to come up in the next verse because um, there's a connection here between what follows. Just wait till you see how Luther interprets this. I'm excited to share this with you. This is really interesting um, because my mind is spinning around in those reformer thoughts, but I don't, I want to let you hang on for that because we need to keep moving through the metaphor here as presented. Sure. Um, So are the, are the branches the disciples then? Is that what we are to understand? I think that's what we're to understand because that seems to be the implication that Jesus audience here are the 11 faithful disciples. Um, uh, this is the we're in the farewell discourse. Mm-hmm. Jesus has finished his final meal with with the disciples. Judas has gone out into the night mm-hmm. to do what he was going to do, and and so the it's just Jesus and the and eleven the, here is the implication, at least as far as we can tell. And so um, the ones that are addre- that he's addressing are true branches that bear fruit because he tells them, "You have already been cleansed." Now, again, the word is is 
cognate with pruning. Right, with, okay. Yeah. yeah. You've already yeah. been cleansed yeah. by the word that I have spoken to you. So it's important here to see that the idea of pruning in verse 2 and cleansing in verse 3 are cognates in Greek. Katharai is the verb in, in verse 2. Katharoi, he basically says, you are already clean by the word that I have spoken to you. So whatever pruning or cleansing Jesus has in mind, he says, has already taken place for his disciples. Yeah, yeah. And this happened by means, I think it's significant, of the word I have spoken to you. So the word that Jesus had spoken to him, his instructions had cleansed them. Mm-hmm. Now, this reminds me then of the scene that begins this whole section of John's gospel mm-hmm. where, where they're at the meal and Jesus is washing the disciples' mm-hmm. feet and Peter objects and, and, sa- and Jesus says in response, unless I wash you, you have no share in me. So this is something very mm-hmm. important in John's gospel. And that washing also kind of hints back to the cleansing and the pruning you just yes, identified. Indeed. So yes, this is indeed. all kind of it, um, it seems to together. It seems to, to be connected, yeah. Now, of course, we were all familiar that Peter replies that he wants Jesus to wash his head, head and his hands also, not just his feet. And Jesus replies to him, you are clean. You're already clean. So he doesn't need to bathe them. Right. You are clean though not all of you, which, of course, the editors of the gospel interpret as a reference to Judas, and then immediately after that, Judas goes out mm-hmm. right after the meal into the night to betray Jesus. So the remaining disciples are the ones who were there with Jesus, and it's almost like this discourse itself, this final discourse is his word, is the means by mm-hmm. which he is pruning them, by which he is cleansing them so that they are going to be able to go out and bear much fruit. Um, and I think it's important also to recall to mind that the influence of the word of the Father or of Jesus as the means of enabling people to truly be his disciples is found in John 8, 31 through 32. You, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will mm-hmm. make you free. So the idea here, again, is that the Jesus' word is what enables them to truly be disciples, to be these fruitful branches uh, in discipleship. So let's clarify what is the main point of the metaphor. Is it the pruning of the branches, or is it um, is it uh, that they they need they need to be bear fruit? I think the main point of the metaphor is that 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 true disciples are going to bear fruit. And, and and so we find this now in verses four and five. I think the main point of the metaphor is that the only way they can do that is through their connection to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So he says to them, abide in me as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit mm-hmm. because apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we are talking, this seems like a very encouraging and yes. uh, f- fulfilling kind of thing. I think that's why I said earlier. I think the main point of the metaphor is a positive one, right? Not a negative, not one. a negative one. Instead of 
oh, there's all these branches that need to be cut off. Right. And I think it's sometimes interpreted that way. It is. People hear that part of it, and they, it's like the parable of the soils in, in the Synoptic Gospels. Mm-hmm. We, we hear this, we, we come to this, this parable or this, this metaphor, uh, and we think, oh, maybe I'm a, a branch that's not bearing fruit, and I'm going to be cut off and thrown into the fire and burned, you know? <laughs> and, and I don't think that's the point of okay. this at all. I think the point of this is to, is to encourage and to stress the importance of conti- mm-hmm. you know continuing to to be connected to Jesus so that so that they can bear much fruit um, so it's it's kind of like the branches and it's again it's kind of like the natural situation where the branches of a, of a of a grapevine have to remain connected to the vine right in order to right. produce grapes if they're cut off from the from the vine they're just going to wither can't and do die anything, yeah. right they could do nothing yeah uh-huh. and so so also Jesus urges his disciples to abide in me so they can bear much fruit and later in the chapter he'll he'll expand this idea in verses 9 and 10 as the father has loved me so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So again, this, con- this mm-hmm. idea of abiding in Jesus and is kind of connected to the idea of bearing fruit, mm-hmm. and they're yeah, kind of yeah. very much related. Uh, abiding in Jesus is synonymous with abiding in his word or having mm-hmm. the Father's word abiding in oneself. Uh, it's also connected with abiding in his love. It's connected with knowing Jesus truly and having life because of him. And again, here again, mm-hmm. I think about John 8, 31 and 32. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Mm-hmm. If you continue in my word, you are truly right. my disciples. And so the the whole idea of abiding, I think I think it's been given some something of a mystical um, interpretation throughout history. Mm-hmm. And I'm certainly not one to um, negate the value of Christian contemplation and um, Christian, uh, even Christian mysticism in the sense of, you know, um, uh, meditating mm-hmm. on parts of the word or, or seeking to, to truly be connected spiritually with Jesus. But I don't think that's the point here. He's saying, my word, <laughs> the Father's word, is what is going to enable you to stay connected to me, and it's going to enable you to be these faithful disciples who bear fruit by living a life of discipleship mm-hmm, that glorifies mm-hmm, God mm-hmm. by the things you do. Yeah. So abiding in Jesus and bearing fruit are, are, are together. They're yeah. integrally connected here. Okay, okay. One of the obvious questions about this, because it come further, is so a, a little bit more can believers fall away? Yeah. You know what I mean? And and what's the evidence of that? Is the evidence of that you not doing things? So it becomes, I see these, the the kind of idea of, of, of works coming into this sure, as sure. well. And, and, and I'm not sure that's what it was talking about. I don't to think mean. so. I don't think so. Again, I think the main point is that it's an encouragement for disciples to maintain connected to Jesus, maintain connected to Jesus' word, to, to, to carry out his word, to carry out the Father's word, to stay connected to Jesus' love, to, to stay connected to the Father's love. And, and, you know, we have to remember that, that in chapter 14, he's already talked about sending an advocate who's going to help right. them to do this, right. right? And so it's not a self-help project, to some, to, you know, right. in, in that respect. But now, in, 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 this pa- in this passage, the corollary is also true. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. And so again, mm-hmm. just as a branch of a grapevine withers and dies when it's cut off, um, 
apart from Jesus, Jesus is encouraging them. They cannot bear fruit. So Jesus goes on then in verse 6, he warns that whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And so, you know, if you're, if you're taking this at a very literal, in a very literal way, you would think, oh, well, that implies that some branches can, can be cut off and they will, they will wither and, and, and be burned in the fire. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think that's the main point here. So what we have here is that Jesus is really stressing the importance to his disciples of them remaining connected to him and his word, remaining connected to the Father and his word, and he has already told them they're going to do that by the Spirit. The Spirit is going to help them to do that. So, um, you know, I think, and so I think this, he's basically warning them that without that, you can't, you can't be a true disciple unless you remain connected mm-hmm. to, to Jesus, to the Father, mm-hmm. to the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, I find it interesting that the only other place in the New Testament where the specific phrase thrown away in verse 6, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's eblethe exo. The only other place in the New Testament where that specific phrase is found is in Matthew 5.13, where Jesus speaks to the disciples. He says, you're the salt of the earth. But then he go, he does he does present sort of a warning that if the salt loses its taste, right. it's good for nothing and it's thrown out and trampled underfoot. Mm-hmm. And so both cases seem to be warnings about unfruitful discipleship. But I'm not sure we're supposed to think of ourselves as, oh, maybe I'm the salt that's lost my fl- and my taste, and so I'm going to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Right. I think Jesus is is he's making a positive point, and to reinforce that positive point, he reinforces it with a right. negative implication or a negative corollary. Yeah, I, you know, I keep thinking of this in terms of various types of work, work righteousness types mm-hmm. of things, but you know, it's that. Um, Look, if you have if you have the true faith in your true branch, you're gonna you're gonna produce this fruit. It's supposed to encourage you in and in, in that faith, as opposed to all the works that you might do, um, and then wondering if that is really really an, an, a representation of the fruit that you were bearing. And yeah, and I would say in this context, the the main point is the connection to Jesus, right? The connection to the Father, which Jesus tells them assures them is going to continue through the presence of the Spirit, and, and that if you're connected. That way, you're going to bear fruit. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I don't really think that Jesus is implying here with this statement about the branches being cut off and burned that believers can fall away. True believers can fall away from abiding in Jesus and cut themselves off from the life of the vine. Now, I will say Raymond Brown does see that as a possibility, but then we have to remember Raymond Brown comes from the Catholic tradition, and mm-hmm. so he has a different theological perspective that he's bringing to this. Mm-hmm. So this might sound a bit contradictory, but the use of the vine metaphor in the in the Hebrew Bible might lend itself toward that conclusion uh, because mm-hmm. there are definitely places in the Hebrew Bible where, you know, the idea is that God is going to judge the people. He is going to he is going to they're going to be destroyed, you know, by their the invading conquerors. Mm-hmm. And, and one really clear example is the use of the vine metaphor in Ezekiel 15, which imagines the inhabitants of Jerusalem as useless vine branches because of their faithlessness. They have gone after other gods. And so they're going to be consumed by the fire. <laughs> so again, I mean, so it could be the Hebrew Bible see, metaphor seems to seems to reinforce that mm-hmm. idea that mm-hmm. that one can fall away and be cut off from the vine. But 
I'm not so sure in a New Testament context about the theology that results from pressing this metaphor. I think we're pressing the metaphor too far. Okay. Uh, in this, because in this setting, Jesus follows up right after verse eight. Mm-hmm, he says, mm-hmm. in, he instructs his disciples to abide in them. He says, "As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my, my love." love. So yeah. you know, yeah. if he's addressing people who are going to be cut off, why does he say to them, "Abide in my love"? Right. And and so I think we're meant, perhaps, I the way I have always viewed verse six is a warning. So so Jesus is, is making a positive point with this mm-hmm. analogy. Mm-hmm. Believers must remain connected to the life of the Father. Believers must remain connected to the life of Jesus through the Spirit, through His Word, mm-hmm. so that they can bear fruit. And so the the corollary of that is that branches that don't stay connected to the vine they die and wither. Right. That's a natural right. f- feature of life. Right. And so it's a warning about not being connected that uses strong language that sort of implies a dire outcome, but I'm not sure it really envisions it as actually happening. Well, you know, what's striking me about this, um, you know, if I put it into the kind of historical context of what's going on, right? Obviously, Judas has just left. That's going to be really terrifying, I think, to someone who's been part of this group. Yes. And so when I think about it in that context, it provides kind of an explanation for what happened, yep. but as well as provides this kind of encouraging sense, you're, you're still here. Yes. You're here. Yes. You're here. Mm-hmm. You're here. You're remaining true. You're still in the Father. You're, you're still in me. Uh, we still have this relationship like we saw mm-hmm. last week from, from, from the Good Shepherd, you know, you know me and I know you just as the, the Father and I know each other. You, right. We still have this relationship, and, and that's the that's the key is the relationship with with the Father and with Jesus through mm-hmm. the Spirit and through His Word. We have one last piece to go to here. Um, is this idea about ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you? And <laughs> yeah. of course, everyone loves this. As my friends pray for their parking space, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> tickets to the tickets to the sold out concert or something. Right, like right, that. right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, I, you know, I. I must say, you know, I hear and I see people abusing these texts, not just here, but there are a number of texts like this in John's gospel Mm -hmm. Uh, and in other places, ask whatever you wish in my name and it will be done for you. And they just lift that out of context and they take it as a sort of a carte blanche, a sort of a black check promise regarding prayer. But I don't think that's what's going on here because I think we have to see it in the context. Mm -hmm. In the context, the whole point is Jesus is saying, Remain connected to me, remain connected to the life of the Father through me and through the Spirit, and you will bear fruit. And mm-hmm. that's the context of asking whatever mm-hmm. you wish, and it will be done for you. He's, I, think it's, I think it's related to the ability to persevere in faithful discipleship. It's related to the ability to bear fruit. It's related to the ability to glorify God. And you find that in other places in John's gospel where this same kind of language is used. It's in the connection with, with the disciples being able to do the greater works than Jesus has done, you know? And, and so uh, the, the point of all of this is not to say, hey, you can ask for, you know, your Maserati and God will give it to you. Yeah. That's not the point here. The point is these are requests related to the ability to persevere in faithful discipleship, to bear fruit mm-hmm. and to glorify God. And so the end result then that Jesus envisions with this analogy of the vine and the branches is that those who follow him will glorify the Father by bearing much fruit. Mm-hmm. And he says, thus you will become or be his disciples. Right. Now, that's a little bit of an interesting language here. Mm-hmm. Have they not already been his disciples? Right, right. Uh, the, 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 the verb is ginomai, which, which mm-hmm. 
can be used as a as a synonym for I me simply as a as a verb of being, but it also can. It's in the aorist tense, so it may imply you may become my true disciples, mm-hmm. or you may continue to be my true disciples. I, I think in the context is what what's going mm-hmm. on here. But and that s- makes sense within the context of Judas leaving again. Of I course, mean, you know of absolutely. Course. So this sense of wait, this relationship only makes sense while Jesus is here. Now he says he's leaving and. What does that mean? So I, that makes sense to me yeah. in the context. Yeah. And again, this reminds me of John 14, uh, 12 and 13. And, and, you know, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these because I'm going to the father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in the son. Again, it's not a carte blanche. Mm-hmm. It's not a blank check. It is ask for whatever you need, whatever you want to be able to abide in me, to be able to bear fruit and to be able to glorify the father. And I will be the one to do that for you. Yeah. Wow. So friends, I hope you got a lot out of this. We'll come back and look at what the reformers say about it. Thanks, Christy. Thanks. Hi, friends. We're back, and uh, we're going to let Christy have a turn to share with us her knowledge of the Reformation. And uh, so, Christy, tell us what the Reformers had to say about this uh, wonderful image of the vine and the branches. Sure. So today in particular, I'm going to talk about Calvin's commentary and a little bit about um, one of Luther's sermons. And what's so interesting about these two is how they come at this verse. Now, for Calvin, it's pretty it's it's pretty expected and understood that he's going to come about this in in terms of the elect, of um, course, and that just it makes sense with what we know about Calvin, and it, it makes sense with in terms. Oh yes, obviously those that are on the branches are the good branches, and those that are cut away are are not of the elect and um, of the reprobate, if you will. So Calvin's. But, but maybe if I interject, I don't know, you may get to this. I would think he would say that the elect can't be cut off and burned. Well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So interesting. But what surprised me as I got reading this was how Luther comes at this. And Luther comes at this so differently than both Alan and and Calvin did. Luther comes at this as kind of um, what he was trying to hide from the, uh, from the authorities. And... Uh, I think it was really interesting is it's just so earthy for him. And he does not look at this in terms of, of like individuals who are falling away, but looks at the pruning as, um, as, as part of, it could be individuals, but much more as actions that hurt the vine. Mm, wow. um, and so he really has this built into his imagery. Well, that makes sense, you know, from a, from a gardener's perspective. Mm-hmm. And so he has this whole, whole image of this in terms of Christ's suffering that Christ must endure. And as disciples, you too are going to have to endure these branches that have to uh, be cut off. And it, it mm. might be some, someone, or it uh, might be something, um, it, but it had a much more, um, you know, I guess when I've looked at this uh, passage, I've always thought of, yeah, branches that are need to be cut off. They're, they're just causing extra fluff. They're not moving. But these are actually things that hurt. They're act, uh, act, actions that hurt, yeah. actions that that pull away at the, at the vine growing tall. But they're not just people, but they 
what they do. Um, so interesting. So is he taking maybe something of a pastoral approach here? Yes, to some yes, yeah. a little bit. And of course, yeah. this is from a sermon, so it, it makes sense there. Yeah. Um, so, but it's indeed this has to be done. That God has to take the pruning hooks to the to the vine, and then it's the suffering that not only Christ has to endure, but so too do in mm. the disciples, and mm. that these disciples will. So many, the pruning can be painful. Pruning yeah. can be painful. Yeah, and, and but <laughs> life seems to bear that out. <laughs> it will produce better fruit. So let's continue on with Luther here. So I wanted to pull out some of the the quotations he makes about this because they're just they're really they're vibrant. So. Happy is the Christian who can interpret it this then as that the the pruning will hurt and apply it to the hours of dis, uh, distress and trial that that's what that means when death upsets him when the devil assails and torments him when the world reviles and defames him as apostle of the devil that you know that will make you stronger mm. and that's so. Again, that's the Luther, and I talked about quite a long time ago now, Luther's worldview still is very much that this very active devil is at work and yeah. is an opposing uh, the work of God. So, You know, and when I was originally looking at the parable from my section, I, was, I almost went there as an observation on the pruning, but then I noticed, but Jesus said, I have already made you clean mm -hmm. by the word I've spoken to you. So that, you know, to me, I mean... I, Obviously, we've all experienced these these life experiences that have made us stronger in our faith and our discipleship. So we can we can attest to what Luther's Luther's mm -hmm. talking exactly. about here. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's. I would agree with him that that's really what the pruning in this in this in this metaphor is about. I'm not sure either. Yeah. And, and then he goes on to show a couple examples, and I pulled out one. He looked at some of the early church. Um, Early church figures, I guess he. I, I pulled out the one from Saint Ignatius, but he also pulled out a, a female martyr. In this, um, he uses the same energy. Come, I am God's kernel of grain. He must crush and grind me in the mm, mill before yeah, he can use me. Yeah. And that he, that Luther identified this as the perfect example of what he means. Yeah, yeah. And then I picked out one other quote from him that says. Therefore, even if all the devils, the world, our neighbors, and all of our own people are hostile to us, revile and slander us, hurt and torment us, we should regard this as no different from applying a shoveful of manure to the vine to fertilize it well, cutting away the useless wild branches mm. or removing a little of the excessive and hampering foliage. Wow. Yeah. So. Well, and again, I would say that's true to life, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not sure that's what the pruning metaphor in this I, in this image is about. I don't think so. And Calvin is not going to go there, right? Yeah. Uh, well, but okay. If cool. you wanted to, you know, if you were trying to to learn some of the differences between Luther and Calvin, and Calvin, I think even as you listened to those quotations, you could hear this earthiness of Luther. You could hear mm -hmm. this dualism in Luther from those. Um, and you could hear Luther's bleeding heart too, yes, which is very much part of, of his identity. Well, and, as I mentioned, you know, uh, this is part of life experience for all of us. We all have these experiences. So, Heading back to Calvin, where I haven't actually much clear picture um, that I brought with me today, um, that he looks at the vine and the branches, um, reminding us of God's sovereignty, that we have, um, we have no power to do anything except from what, except from what comes from God. Surely. Um, and that, uh, and that, that we are rooted and pruned by the Father, um, 
And, and thirdly, um, that he removes all the unfruitful branches and that they may be you know, thrown into the fire. Um, he also reminds us that everything good comes from God. And humans cannot do this alone. And that fits this idea of these branches can't just appear on their own, that they can't do anything unless they are connected to the branch. Well, I think it also correlates with the setting in John's gospel where Jesus says he's sending them another advocate, the Spirit, who's Mm -hmm. going to help them do this. Exactly, exactly. And, of course, clearly the vine, the good branches, those are the elect that go out to do God's thing. They're already there. They're already chosen. Um, And... Whatever people do is useless unless it comes from the branches themselves. So yeah. I think that's an expectation that we have from Calvin. There's nothing new sure, there. That's probably sure. how many of us would have assumed, assumed he would have come about it. But we go on because he, he, he goes so far as to claim, look, those that don't bear fruit um, are corrupt. Those are corrupt men. Those are the reprobate. Probate. Um, um, people may claim to be in the vine, but they're not in the uh, vine. Uh, I keep liking it. <laughs> in my little mind. I liken it to, you know, some some kind of of, of bug that's attached itself, or uh-huh, some kind of a, uh-huh. a, a some kind of additional weed that's attached itself to the right. grapevine, or something like that. Is right. what comes to my image. Um, um, and so, then, so the so the so those branches were never really true branches at all. They were just something out. Extra, yes, you know? exactly. They were never truly. They connected were never truly, and that makes sense when you think of his concept yeah. of the elect. Yeah. Um, that, that it's not people that fall away. It's people that were never. They yeah, were never, they were even never connected, ne- connected to, to Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it kind of an interesting, expected but interesting take on this mm-hmm. as well, right? Mm-hmm. And. Um, now, the pruning itself comes from the preaching of the word. Uh-huh. So that's, you know, again, when you think of Calvin and you think of Calvin's things, it is indeed the word. The word brings us to faith. That is the, that is the central piece there. And so that's the part that keeps us, keeps us growing and, and, and moving forward and it gets rid of all of the sure. superfluous. Well, and that seems consistent with the, the language of John's gospel regarding this kind of aspect of the Christian life. Yeah. 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 And you have to continue to listen to the word in order to grow in the faith. And therefore, again, when you think of that early reformed church with the pulpit right smack dab in the middle of the church and nothing else, that again reminds us that that centrality of the word in 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 Calvin's thought. So then um, there's no surprise in, in, in Calvin and actually a little bit in Luther too, that, that the Papists are going to be blamed. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be good Reformation stuff if they didn't attack. You the just got to attack who's there. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and there, it, you know, sometimes we attack other groups, but this is the one that that's that I think ties closely to to their heart in that you've got papists who claim power and mm-hmm. and they in their mind they're claiming power separate from the word of Jesus. Well, and 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 uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, the way I would envision it is that they're claiming to be the divine representatives on yes. earth. So they're the ones who are empowering, you know, the, the believers to, to yep. th- you know, God is using them to empower right. the believers to go out and, and Absolutely. do their bare fruit. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and they, if you will, you know, when the... It's like they have become the vine. They have. And, <laughs> and of course, in, 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 the, in the 
tradition of the Roman Catholic Church. It's and we've talked about this before, but you know, when when Christ gives the key to Peter, Peter mm-hmm. becomes the first pope, and so this becomes part of their identity that they have this ability to not only interpret Scripture but to add on to really to interpret mm-hmm. God's will for people. And so this, you can see this in direct contrast to the vine itself being supported and and pruned through the word, you've got someone else that says, no, I'm in charge of that. Mm-hmm. And so you could see why um, through this metaphor that they can use this to sure. kind of attack Catholic practice, Roman Catholic practice. Um, and um, they also attack the Papists for having agency, if you will, in their own works, right? Mm. So where indeed do the do the fruit come from? Well, you know, they're saying they're claiming their fruit um, makes them strong and it doesn't, it doesn't work with this metaphor. Either. Well, yeah, there's this whole idea of merit that, mm-hmm. that you, you build up merit. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know to what extent that's still contemporary today, but I think in that day it was a very strong oh, part yeah, of the Catholic absolutely. theology. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, you know, of course, and and in marriage, and you could not only work for your own merit, but you could work for yes, other indeed. people's merits yes, as indeed. well. And so it really became, you know, it became more about what you do than what you believe. And um, to the point of that you became... Uh, people didn't even know what they believed anymore. It just became, right. if I just do all this hard work, it'll, 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 all it'll bear fruit. All I do is obey the church mm-hmm. and, and the church guarantees my salvation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So again, the church sort of takes the place of the vine. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and, and again, Calvin goes back to the centrality of Christ that indeed true branches come from Christ. They do not have power outside of it. Absolutely, that makes sense with it. Um, sure. Those who are cast out are the hypocrites. Um, and again, uh, just to the end, it reads the way in Calvin, as we expect, if we abide in Christ, then we are in connection with Christ. Um, there's a reciprocity um, between, between God, God's love, Christ's love, our love in response, so that that all works together, that connection. And that makes sense too. You know, I, I spend a lot of probably way too much effort thinking about love in terms of, um, um, a transient verb that, that needs, um, yes, that, that needs a, an object. An object. Yes. And so this all makes sense within the context of, of God's love. Right. Yeah. Um, well, and, and again, I, I think it reflects accurately the, the, um, setting of John's gospel, because that's one of the main aspects of abiding in Christ is abiding in his love, abiding in the Father's love, you know, through the Spirit. And and so you have this relation, relational idea that's very strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then ultimately, uh, concluding, of course, for Calvin, the dependence on God, the sovereignty of God. So it, it, it fits very well within his context of his, of his worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, I think for both of these two, and, and, and I didn't get the chance to look at other folks, um, but you definitely see both of their kind of worldviews coming into play when you're looking at how they understand this. And um, Yeah, Luther has more of the pastoral down-to-earth kind of thing, and, 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 right. and Calvin seems to approach it more from a, right. a theocentric, right. I guess, approach. He's more focused on God right. and God's sovereignty and how that plays itself out in their lives. Now, I didn't get a chance to dig into, but I know it does exist with some of the... The radical groups, they spend, you know, how we talked earlier in Alan's segment 
uh, about, you know, using this as ju- a judgment piece. And of course, absolutely, this is a way for us to identify those branches that have fallen off and those people that are bad. And you get a little sense of that in Calvin, but that's not really his emphasis. But it really comes out when you get to those radical groups that that take it further. And so I'm, I'm not surprised yeah. at that because their their spiritual descendants now, 400 years later, still do the same thing. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And I wish I would have gotten there this week to to provide a little more background. But that absolutely comes into the tradition and will merge itself away with what I call the, you know, I've always put. Calvin and kind of the moderate reformed camp, but these people that push even further oh, yeah. into the reformed camp, the kind of synod of dort kinds of, of folks. And as I said, the radicals that even jump from there that, mm. that, you know, are creating their own little, um, their own little ideas of what the kingdom of God looks like. Sure. And they're, so, um, just to say, let's have a look at what this means today. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks, Christy. Yep. We're back, friends, and Christy's going to bring us into some application space by sharing some of her experiences as she has interacted with her parishioners. You know, sometimes, especially those of you that are listening, that are coming from a Presbyterian tradition, sometimes don't spend maybe as much time aware of how this is impacting some of our friends that may be in a more evangelical space. And um, I've been blessed to work and counsel with a couple folks that have this view that this type of verse allows us to be able to kind of judge who is part of the vine and who is not. And um, I worked with a, a woman not too long ago who was very distraught. She had poor relationships with her kids because she would look out on, on what they did and how they acted and they weren't attending service and saw that they were obviously disconnected. They were obviously branches that had been, been pruned away. And um, they felt, you know, they would, they felt that there was no hope in, in a way mm. for them. And if they would have communication, it was always a judgment communication um, because they were clearly connected. They were attending church. They were good Christians realizing that their actions were actually exactly the opposite of what this verse is intended to do and also what Jesus's love is all about. And so I, I'm thinking of these people sitting in our congregations, potentially, maybe they have come in um, or and and are listening, and that is what they're hearing when they hear this verse. They know how to understand right. it. They know that um, they're you know in their minds, I, I'm I'm good, but all my people are bad, and they're they're dying inside, um, and they're really they're angry too, mm. um, and this anger is taking over who they are because they want nothing more than to restore the relationships. Mm. And um, so this is what came to mind. And yet they come at it from the perspective of anger and judgment. Yeah, yeah. It's very problematic. And so I guess for me, one of the big things is how we can bring the message of this into the positive, reassuring message of abiding in God's love that I think it was intended to have. Um, And so maybe Alan can 
can shed some light on that for us. Well, and and yeah, thank you. I I want to reflect a little bit more with you on on this on this pastoral issue because you know I, I'm quite sure we all have people in our congregations who, um, when they hear this, are going to think in that space. Mm-hmm. They're going to think, I have been a good and faithful church member for X amount of years, mm-hmm. and you know, in our church. On Anniversary Sunday, we our church was founded in 1878, so we celebrate Anniversary Sunday every year and by recognizing our long-term members. And we have some members who've been members of the church for like 70 years, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some pride attached to that. And I, I think as a result, there is some sense of you, you know, reprobate people out there who aren't in church you've cut yourself off from the vine and i am a true branch because i'm still here in church and they don't even think about the whole idea that it's it's not about what you do it's about your relationship with with the love of god mm-hmm. it's about your relationship with christ and and you know just just being just showing up every week you know, right. Sunday after Sunday doesn't doesn't guarantee that. Well, exactly. And I think, you know, these people, well, what struck me is they're not even able to look at, they're not even able to look, look at themselves and look at their anger and mm-hmm. look at their inability to truly forgive. Because and see that as something that needs to be pruned away so that they can bear more yeah, fruit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think what was is so particularly heart-wrenching, I've got two individuals in mind, was just to watch, watch their anguish mm-hmm. that... I felt like they're really missing out mm-hmm. on on Christ who died for us, right? Yeah. I feel like they're just in this space of 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 like eternal torment in mm-hmm. a way, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah. I, and that doesn't seem to be to be the the point of this. No, I don't all. think so at all. Yeah. I guess as I'm thinking about our discussion. For me, at least, one of the important pieces is putting it into the context of the disciples and this kind of last uh, teaching that Jesus has for them, and uh, to kind of dig into their own sense of fear about knowing that Christ is going to be dying here soon on a cross. And um, if you can imagine that space they're in that this is supposed to be reassuring to them and i think i think we have to maybe preach it in a way that's reassuring to our congregation as well yes yeah i I would not preach this in terms of judgment i would preach it in terms of assurance definitely yeah yeah Yeah, you know i've I've had a similar pastoral experience i I may have talked about this before on a podcast earlier but um i'd been at i was at my previous church eight years and and every sunday i say the same prayer you know i pray my pastoral prayer and then i conclude we thank you that we, we can pray in the in the assurance that before a word is on our lips we even know to ask you're already working in each and every life to bring your grace and peace and your mercy and love and your joy and your new life and i believe that that's to me that's that's prevenient grace that's god's prevenient grace working in people's lives before they even know to respond and so six years into my pastorate of saying that same prayer every sunday (laughs) she she finally gets up the nerve or the courage to ask me to come over and talk and chat and so i went over and she was concerned about her children who were not in church Mm -hmm. and she she wanted to know do you really believe that and I, I was able to tell her, yes, I really do, that, you know, that God is working in this world out of his grace and mercy and love, um, even in the lives of those who don't seem to be have any connection whatsoever outwardly to God, God is still working in their lives uh, through his love, and God has not given up on them. 
And and so it was a it was a time for me to reassure her, mm-hmm. you know that. And part of this came out of my own experience with being a divorced dad because I, you know, I, I got to see my kids a lot. I, I basically I, I the only chip I had I traded in for for extra visitation rights. So mm-hmm. I got to see my kids three three weeks three evenings a week plus every other weekend, and and. Um, but yet, I was I was very much removed from from that active space of decision making mm-hmm. and and being you know sort of the dad in their life. I was still the dad in their life, but I wasn't making decisions. And I really had to come to the, to the place of recognizing, look, they have a father who loves them far more than I can ever love them, mm-hmm. and I had to I had to really entrust their lives into his care. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of helped me to come to this space of of yeah you know uh, we can kind of take that approach with everybody mm-hmm. you know that we can ent- that they all have a father who loves them far more right. than we can right now the other the other thing that I think about when I think about this passage is I I have this saying that I use a lot um, in teaching or in preaching and it, and it is this it is you know if we are going to try to accomplish the work of the kingdom. We cannot do that in our own strength, in our own talent, in our own energy. We can only do that as the Spirit of God mm. empowers us and does the work through us. Mm-hmm. And I really, I really think that is kind of the essence of the point of this passage. Right, right. Uh, you know, to use the language of the metaphor, it has to be the life of Jesus expressing itself mm-hmm. in and through us. Right, it has right. to be the love of God, you know, bearing fruit right. in and through us. It has to be the spirit who is working in and through us in mm-hmm. people's lives to be able to bear the kind of fruit that Jesus envisions here, which will glorify God. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. And as I think we've said on here, I'm a newer pastor. Um, and I think what's really interesting, and, and I'm, I work at a church where there's um, multiple, uh, a senior pastor and, and, and me. And so I think, I think my senior pastor always worries when I, when I set out to do something and if it fails, he's worried I'm going to be really discouraged, you know, <laughs> because, you know, he, he, I, he wants it to go well for me. But, but I, I, I have enough wisdom and background, I think, to understand that, this works, this is God's work. Mm-hmm. And I just set up the opportunities as I feel called. And so we had our first young adult, um, our young adult fellowship last night. And it, I, I was hoping for 10 and I got five and he came the next day and he just looked at me with this kind of, Oh, it, it didn't go well. And I thought it went great. I was totally excited. I got five people there, you know, it doesn't have to be a big group and, you know, this the spirit will work through them yeah. you know and i just have to be confident that that will happen but it was it was an interesting piece of 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 him trying to encourage me when and and to reassure me that it's not something i'm doing and sure. and and i know that and yet i kind of appreciate because i think that's the space we're in as human beings i think we are the doers and we want to fix yes. and move and oh, yes. it's sometimes hard to allow god's time to process we like to see the fruits of our labor yeah. yeah especially when we feel called to do it yes indeed um yeah you know um one one thought that i have been has been rolling around in my head too is i don't think in most Presbyterian churches, we can presuppose that everybody in the church 
has a Presbyterian background. Oh, we can't. Absolutely not. And so, you know, we approach it from the standpoint of the sovereignty of God's grace. Mm -hmm. That part of Calvin still resonates very strongly with us. We see God's grace as everything in the church is all about God's Mm -hmm. grace, you know, and everything in our Christian lives is all about God's grace. And it's not about us. But we have plenty of people in our churches that are from those churches that are the spiritual descendants of the radical reform mm-hmm. that went to that space of it's all about what you do and and you can use this to judge and so i think we we sh- we shouldn't presuppose that everybody is going to read this sort of through presbyterian eyes right they're not um i think i i think you know unfortunately the, the you know images like this are wonderful in that you know, they, they present a vivid word picture for us. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, images like this are also problematic in that we take sort of the real life application of it and we maybe take some of those um, aspects of what happens in real life and we press those right. those details of the, of the, of the metaphor. And, and that's not, those aren't the details that Jesus was pressing. Right. Jesus right. wasn't press. I don't think Jesus was pressing this pit about about branches being lopped off and thrown into the fire. I think Jesus was pressing the point about you can only bear fruit right. if you stay connected to my life, to the right. life of the Father, to the to the Spirit who who is empowering you. Which makes sense again in the context of yeah. what you, when he presents it. Yeah. And he's and he's addressing his disciples whom he's about to leave. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and he's preparing them to to step up and be the ones who continue his work. Right. And as, as as I read, you know, from John 14, even do greater works yeah. than he was going to do. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Well, I hope everyone this helps you as you are preparing for this particular week and enjoy this wonderful metaphor um, that that really is a beautiful image for for our faith. Thanks, Christy. Thank you. That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us. It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ. We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen listen for for the the word. word.